In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Sandy. Today on Money Tales, we're joined by Craig Can. As a child, Craig dreamt of becoming a professional sportscaster. That's all he wanted to do, and sure enough, that's what he did. Craig became a huge success. He enjoyed a 25-year television career, including 17 years at Golf Channel NBC. Craig was one of the first to interview Tiger Woods as Tiger turned professional. He was hanging with Arnold Palmer, and he was living his dream. But life is hard, and things outside of our control happen all the time. The real estate market imploded just as Craig's contract came up for renewal, forcing him to draw on his creativity and entrepreneurial spirit to make some purposeful shifts. Hi, this is Cami. During Craig's TV run, he was an original on-air member, a play-by-play voice, and ultimately the lead studio host and on-site anchor at major championship events around the world. He made a career pivot and elevated the Ladies Professional Golf Association as its chief communications officer from 2011 to 2016. Now he's managing director of CAN Advisory Group, where he provides media, marketing, and communications consulting and training. Craig is also the author of Can You Get Our Attention, a fantastic book that both Sandy and I have read that will help you get super clear on your brand and what you have to offer. Please stick around after the interview for our takeaways from the discussion. Now, on to our conversation with Craig Can. Craig Can, welcome to Money Tales. I'll tell you what, of all the podcasts I've done, not only is this the most recent, but it is also the one I'm most looking forward to. I am thrilled to be with you guys. Sandy, Cami, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Excellent. We'd like to start off with an introduction. If you could provide us a brief overview of your life to date, and in particular, hitting on a couple pivotal moments that really make you who you are. You're asking for my life story in a very short time. I'll tell you that I grew up in Chicago, a small family, mom, dad, and one brother. I grew up in the West suburbs. I'm a big White Sox fan. Congrats to the White Sox who clinched the uh, division this year. I'm going to the playoffs, by the way, to go check them out. I was that kid at seven and eight years old who knew that he wanted to be a sportscaster. That's all I ever wanted to do. My parents gave me this tape recorder and a microphone when I was a kid. And so I sat up in my room on the second floor of my house. By the way, I had really cool orange shag carpeting. All right. (laughs) And not everybody can say that, but I did have that. And I broadcast my own games. I made up the games, the Bulls, the Blackhawks, the White Sox, the Bears, you know, even did a couple Cubs games, even though I'm a White Sox fan. I had a blast. Now, my brother would try to come in. I kept him out of my room. My friends would come over. I'd let them 
maybe be the color commentator, but they couldn't grab the mic and take the, take the lead role. I just wouldn't let them do it. That's what I did. I played all kinds of sports when I was a kid growing up. I had a really cool paper route, which we can talk about because I got really rich off that paper route. Worked at a radio station in high school. I went to the University of Missouri because at the time it was the only school in the country that owned and operated an affiliate TV station, KOMU, the NBC affiliate, was owned by the university. There were so many talented people there, and that's kind of where I got my TV start. I went to Columbus, Georgia. I went to Fort Myers, Naples, Florida. I went to Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, Michigan, eight years in local TV, and I got this amazing phone call from my agent that there was this golf channel that was starting. And they flew me down first class, and they flew me back coach after my interview, which is still a great story that I love to tell people. And I got 24 hours to make a decision if I was going to be on the Golf Channel. And I took it, and it's, uh, it's probably why I'm sitting here and talking with you all today. It was a gift. It's a blessing. And it's opened up so many doors for me in my life. I've got three kids. I am no longer married, but I, I love my life. I love what I'm doing. I've had great career opportunities and things that have come my way. And here I am sitting here as, as somebody talking to you all. I've got a podcast. I've got a radio show. I speak around the country. I wrote a book. What else do you need to know? <laughs> Craig, that's a great introduction. And <laughs> it's, <laughs> you've done a lot. I've got a green shag carpet in my youth that matches your orange shag. There you go. There yeah. you go. That's cool. It's tough Let's... to vacuum, but man, it, it, it hides crumbs and, and food that you bring up in your room. So it, it worked out really well when I was growing up. Speaking of growing up, Let's go back and let's talk a little bit further about uh, your family life and what were the conversations you were having around money matters as a young kid with your parents and your brother? Well, my dad worked at a bank in Chicago for 38 years. You know, back then uh, people held jobs for a lot longer and my dad took the train from the West suburbs downtown every day, same time in the morning. He was a guy of habit and he took the same train home every night once a month, he would sit down and he would open up all these books at this circular table where we ate dinner and, and he would do the budget and he would do all kinds of stuff with money. And I really didn't understand it. I never knew until my dad passed away how much money my dad made. I respected that. He gave my mom probably an allowance. I don't think my mom really liked that too much. But, you know, we were the middle class family. I went to a public high school and I didn't grow up with a ton, but I certainly didn't go wanting and my dad was, was very, I don't want to say tough, but he taught me good lessons. You know, he laid it out. Uh, he caused me and my brother to respect money. I learned a lot about that process. Um, I had jobs as a kid growing up so that I could kind of do my own thing and, and be able to have some skin in the game and some ownership of what I was going to do or wanted to do. And to this day, I think that's a very valuable lesson. I respect my dad a great deal. I lost him far too early to colon cancer at 67. And I'd love to be having conversations with him now about the things that I've learned and the mistakes that I've made along the way, because I respected him that much about the way he carried himself and the way he led our family. Did you have an interest in money as you were thinking through a future in broadcasting sports? So the one thing that I knew is you had an ability to make a lot of money if you were really good, you know, if you reached the network level. At the same time, I also knew in going to college to become a broadcaster, to become a sportscaster, that you didn't make a lot of money when you were climbing the ladder. 
I turned down a job in North Carolina right out of school for $10,050 a year. I said, was that 10.5 you just offered me? And he said, no, 10.050. I said, all right, I just wanted to make sure I heard that right. I then got an offer for a whopping 12,500 and I did not take that job. I took a job in Columbus, Georgia for $13,500. Now, my apartment at the time was about 300 bucks a month or 350 or something like that. I mean, I was living on a fine line. And so uh, I had a great respect for money from the time I knew I wanted to go into that field. I knew I wasn't going to make a lot. I mean, I made 13.5. My second job in Fort Myers, I made 14.5, but I got overtime. I get overtime, so, so I was getting rich. And then I got this great opportunity to go to Kalamazoo Grand Rapids and anchor f- full-time, and it was the week of my wedding. Uh, they offered me 25 grand. I didn't even negotiate. I just said, sure, I'm in. The interview was like two days before the wedding, so I was in no place to be able to spend a lot of time trying to figure that whole thing out. I, I just, I respected hard work. I knew you had to earn it. And from the time I was in high school, and even before that, when I, when I had this famed paper route that I talk about quite a bit, I knew that I needed to save. I knew that I needed to work hard. I knew that I needed to differentiate myself to try to separate myself from other people that wanted to do what I was doing. And if I was in it to get rich, I was in it for the wrong reasons. I mean, I, I've learned since then that when you're young, you chase opportunity. And when you're older, you can go ahead and chase money maybe to pay for all the things you've done or the mistakes you've made. Um, but when you're young, you really need to go after those opportunities. Craig, when your initial salaries were so thin, were there things you were learning about money that carried with you into your later life? I bought a few lottery tickets along the way. Like if it got you know big, I would go buy one thinking I could actually win the thing. I never did Publishers Clearinghouse, but I did a few other things because I thought you know that would be my opportunity to somehow strike it rich while I was working my way up. But uh, no, I I just felt like if I persevered, if I stayed my course, if I you know kind of followed my own lead, I would be just fine. And it really worked out that way. I remember you know, not to get into all the contracts about television and whatnot, but my first job at the Golf Channel when I signed on, uh, I don't mind sharing that, was was $50,000. You know, it was a two-year contract. I got a raise and then I got bigger raises and then I got bigger raises and you would sign deals for two years or three years or whatever it might be and you needed an agent to negotiate that stuff. But I would admit, to be honest, that as I got older and was a little bit more established in my career, I probably thought about money more and had more conversations like that with my agent because I wanted to be compensated fairly or whatever market value was. I I knew I worked hard. I knew I was uh, a guy who wanted to try to make a difference and not necessarily just a paycheck. And I think that was one of the things that has always been in my mind. Make a difference. Don't make a paycheck. Try to give back something more than people expect when they give you an opportunity in the first place, that kind of thing, you know? And if you do that, the money will follow and you'll be okay. I had three kids and family and the pressures of whatever parents have to deal with. And so I've always respected hard work and saving and doing what I could do to keep things moving in the right direction. Craig, tell us about where that all started when you brought up already this famed paper route. And then a lot of times that first job is really pivotal, right? For learning about money and working hard and saving. And well, I told you about how I got my 
started broadcasting, you know, in my room on the shag carpeting at uh, eight years old, I called all the sportscasters. And then, you know, what happened at like 11 or 12, I think it was, I determined that all the sports pages in Chicago, the Sun-Times and the Tribune didn't do an effective job of promoting all the teams I, I really followed. So I decided to write my own sports page. And so I like hand wrote stuff, you know, I, I put standings and statistics and I wrote stories and I, I wrote commentary and I was pretty biting, you know, and, and I drew some pictures and then I went down to the Thomas Ford Memorial Library and I made photocopies and whether you wanted it or not, if you lived on my block in the four sides of my block, you were hand delivered once a month, the Craig Can sports page. I stapled it together. It was, it was a, you know, a tremendous read. I didn't win any awards with it. But uh, that's how I kind of got my, my start in marketing. When I realized that that newspaper wasn't going to make me rich or, or really help me out long term, I decided I needed a real job because I wasn't getting a lot of advertisers on that, on that uh, sports page. So I took this job for delivery of the, I think, Western Springs Sun. I lived in Western Springs. That was the, the uh, uh, suburb. And there was the, the Western Springs Shopper, which was like an advertisement thing. So I did like deliveries on Wednesday and Saturday. And I had the baskets on my bike. At one time I flew over the handlebars and that's another story. But I delivered 121 papers, right? I remember that. Here's the thing. I got ripped off. I only got $1.19 every time I delivered those 121 papers. And you know what? Um, I called them to say, I'm not even making a penny of paper. I need a raise. I mean, this is hard work. I'm putting rubber bands around these papers. I'm delivering these things. I'm chucking them. I have a pretty good arm. I played baseball and I'm hitting the porch and I'm not getting my fair value. I never really got that huge raise until the very end. And by then I'd already moved on and I got this job at a furrier in uh, Hinsdale, Illinois. And so I was like putting away women's fur coats, trying to save money. And then uh, in high school, I did some other things. And then in college, my freshman year, when I came back from Missouri, I had three jobs. I worked at Marshall Fields um, in the department that every guy who's a fraternity guy in college really wants to work in. I worked in the linen department. I mean, I could tell you about thread count. I knew how to do boxes and fold towels. It was amazing, the things that I learned. So I had that, and then I was a baseball coach for kids in the, in the community. I loved that job. And then I was a football camp counselor because I played high school football. So, I mean, I worked hard to try to save money because my dad said when I was in college, all my social was on me. And I was a fairly social guy. Like I was actually the social chairman of my fraternity my junior year. I ran us into $2,400 worth of debt, by the way. And then they hired me or they elected me president to solve the debt my senior year. So that's my college story. I mean, there's many other college stories. We just don't have time to go into those. But like money stories follow me along. And so I've got a couple of them. Thanks for sharing about your, your professional career and how the earnings trajectory worked in those early days. Certainly going kind of doubling every couple of years is nice, but it's hard when you're working off that small base. And I'm curious, at that point, you were a professional sportscaster. You're talking with professional athletes who are amazing at the jobs they're doing and oftentimes are getting paid a lot of money. Did that 
idea ever cross your mind when you were talking to these people, the fact that they were making so much money? I talked about being blessed. You know, I've interviewed a lot of really famous people. I've been to the NBA All-Star Game where Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, uh, I traveled with college football teams. I've covered uh, the NFL when I was in Michigan, Notre Dame, Michigan, Michigan State, traveled with Western Michigan, Florida, Florida State. I've been to the Super Bowl. I've been to the Indy 500. I've I, I've covered a lot of different things. I've never been starstruck. You know, when I got into golf, obviously, um, I started out there in 1995. Tiger Woods was still an amateur at the time. Uh, he turned pro in 1996. I was fortunate enough to be the one reporter that was there for the Golf Channel at the Hello World press conference that he did in Milwaukee when he turned pro. And then I got to interview him in 97, one-on-one at Augusta National in the locker room after he won the Masters. I, I've interviewed Arnold Palmer. I've spent time. I flew on his airplane with him, which is one of my great, cool stories. I've been to the White House two times. I, I've spent time with Wolf Blitzer and uh, Bob Schieffer and Chris Wallace, you know, and, and they wanted to talk golf. Like I wanted to talk about the situation room, you know, and, and cool stuff about the news and they didn't care. They wanted to talk about golf. And I thought that was fascinating. I've, I've never really looked at people for how much money they make. On my own podcast, I interviewed Chris Harrison, former host of The Bachelor. You know, I mean, that guy makes uh, quite a bit more money than I do. Mike Tirico, famous sportscaster. Joe Buck, famous sportscaster. Those guys have more zeros at the end of their paychecks than I do. Dan Mullen, the football coach at at the University of Florida. Uh, That stuff doesn't phase me. What's important to me is that people do what they love so that they don't spend every day waking up thinking about money. Now, I'm going to be very transparent and tell you that as an entrepreneur and a guy who did TV for a number of years, quit it cold turkey to jump into the C-suite at the LPGA and be the chief communications officer for the betterment of helping take care of his family, which is another story in and of itself because of what happened in 2008, 2009, and they had changed my contract at the Golf Channel. I wrote about that in my book. And then leaving the LPGA after five years in the Olympics in 2016 to start my own business. And everybody's like, you know, when things started going well, people are like, Craig, you know, I really want to do what you do. I mean, it looks so much fun. You're traveling the the country, you know, delivering speeches and keynotes and workshops for corporate executives and talking to sports teams and doing all this stuff. I said, might I remind you of a global pandemic that's basically shut the world down. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur until you really have to be an entrepreneur, right? You don't know when your next client's coming or your next paycheck's coming. And you're thinking about your kids two of whom have been out-of-state students and graduated from college and you've got the student loans to pay and another one who's behind as a you know, college junior out-of-state also that I'm responsible for. And a lot of other things that come into play. And I admit that I get caught up at times in finances and in thoughts about money and where it's going to go. And I try to save and there have been periods where I haven't saved. Um, it's stressful. I mean, money is stressful. I interviewed Nicole Lappin. She's been on television and has written uh, books. She's coming out with a new one. And, you know, she was in credit card debt before she ever became famous enough to be on TV to tell other people how to solve their own, you know? I think money is a great thing, but it can also be something that traps you within yourself and causes stress that's unneeded and causes you to lose your focus on what's most important in life. I think 
many, many people can relate to what you're saying. When you were in those frustrating times, how did you maintain your focus to get you through those periods? I'll go back to 2008, 2009, first of all, because I think we all make mistakes with money. I was a great saver for a long time with my family. In 2008, 2009, we all know what happened with the economy. I had moved into a house in Windermere, Florida and bought it at a good price. And within a couple of years, we all know the market skyrocketed. And basically my house value doubled. At the time, we made a decision because the neighborhood we were in, which was a great neighborhood, we had an awesome swimming pool, our house was terrific. We said, you know, there's not a ton of things for our kids to do in this neighborhood, our kids to play with, and there's this other neighborhood, and we can afford this bigger house that's in this more exclusive community. I mean, you're doing great at the Golf Channel, and you know, everybody thinks you're, you're making a ton of money, and we can take all that that profit from that house and put it into this house. So then I buy this house that's a lot, lot more money without going into the exact figure. And then we know what happens with the economy. I mean, it was shortly after that, a couple of years, I get a call from my agent who says, Craig, I know this is going to come as a shock. You're the main anchor at Golf Channel. They're not renewing your contract for sure. And they're allowing you to look. And all of a sudden my world changed. Ironically, on the day that that conversation happened. My financial advisor, who's a great friend of mine, was coming in to have a family meeting with us. Like, how weird is that, right? So all this stuff happens at the same time. And suddenly, my story with that Golf Channel story is, is that they ended up keeping me, but at a, at a reduced rate. And I ended up going from five days a week to being four days a week so they could make me an independent contractor and pay me on a day rate as opposed to a salary. Basically, what happened is my contract came up at the wrong time. And the Golf Channel was being merged in with Comcast and NBC, and they were trying to lean it out. And I know how all that works. It got very corporate. And I was just caught on the wrong end of it. Had I signed a four-year extension, I'm not at peril. I signed a two-year extension. Now I'm, you know, in a tough spot. So all of a sudden, things were very different. And I used that one day a week, Sandy and Cammie, to, to actually become an entrepreneur. That's where I started my first business. I felt like I do these speeches. I consult. I do this. I started a company called HTK Media, which stood for Have the Knowledge. It also is the initials of my three kids, Haley, Trent, Kendall. So if I ever struck it rich, unlike the paper route, I would know that they were a part of it and they would know that they were getting some money from something like that. So you know what? I made like 50 or 55 grand doing that in a year on one day a week, putting a lot of effort into that. And I said to myself, okay, I can do this someday if I ever need to. So the bottom falls out of the market. I've got to short sell that huge house we just bought. We have to go rent for two years. I mean, talk about a slap in the face, a kick in the butt. And I take this job at the LPGA as chief communications officer. I did it to get benefits for my family, partly. I did it because it was an amazing opportunity. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't second guess a lot of things like that. That's the story that I was living and I'm sure I'm not the only guy that ever went through something like that. It made me better. It made me understand that I have talents outside of television, that I have the ability to survive. Some of our greatest achievements in life come from outside our comfort zone. Success is not what we achieve, but what we survive quite often. And I was going through financial stress, but I was protecting my family. And so eventually I left the LPGA and started Can Advisory Group to do this full time. 
And I started with nothing, you know, but a dream and a risk and a thought of, if I don't do this now in 2017, when, when will I ever do it? And I wanted to give back. And so that's kind of my financial story. I've, I've been through some heartache and some trouble and some stress. And the pandemic was, was a nightmare, which we could talk about more in depth. And I'm fine to share that too. But I, I think people need to understand my lesson in all that is, is that, you know, when the tough gets going, don't freeze, just keep going. Like figure out stuff, figure out where your strengths are and take chances on yourself, bet on you, put some money and some stock in yourself that you can survive and achieve. Craig, that story is so powerful. These are stories that happen all the time and we learn the most from the painful ones. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm -hmm. Now that you've gone through it, when you look back, how does it make you feel? Proud actually. I have one regret in my TV career that I didn't follow my passion for play-by-play. I did it at the Golf Channel for three years. Then they offered me, we had 30 events at the time, and they offered me to be the only guy. I was splitting it with somebody else. We were each doing 15. And then they said, Craig, we want you to be the guy, the voice, and do 30 events for us. I said, whoa, that's 30 weeks on the road. What am I going to do the other 20-some weeks? They said, well, you'll be our main anchor in the studio on the weekends. And I'm like, so now I'm like 50 weeks on the weekends away from kids, family. And I coached little league and, and softball for my daughter. And and I was missing stuff, you know, so I turned it down and I love doing play by play. So that's my only regret that I have in, in TV is that I didn't kind of follow that on a little bit further to see where it could have gone. I mean, who knows? I might've been doing play by play at the Olympics. You know, my, my buddies that I worked with at golf channel, some of them got that opportunity. That's all fine and dandy. My one regret that I have with, with money, I don't, actually, I have two. One, I actually regret chasing another neighborhood for the betterment of your children and putting all your money into a house. I learned that the economy can change on a, on a snap of a finger, right? And all of a sudden, what you think you're able to do, you're no longer able to do, and suddenly it becomes a survival test. So that's one thing. The other thing was when my dad passed away, I inherited some money and I wanted to do something for my family on behalf of my father. I used some of that money to help my kids through private school because we felt like the public schools weren't given enough for my kids. I'm a public school kid. I I firmly believe in the public school system, but it was the situation. And so I bought this condo in Hilton Head, which is like my favorite place. Like that's my happy place. And I, I put a down payment down on it. And that condo went for like 167 at the time or 170 or something, okay? I mean, this is years ago. So, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll call it 2005. I, I don't even remember what the time was, time frame was. And so after taking our kids from Orlando to Hilton Head, every time we had a long weekend or a holiday or whatever, or a summer break, my kids after a while are like, we're going to Hilton Head again. I mean, they loved Hilton Head. We're like, geez, enough Hilton Head, enough Hilton Head. You know what we did? We sold it. And, and we sold it for like 300. So we made a hundred and something. But if I go back to that whole nightmare situation of short selling a house, where did that profit go? It had to go to pay off those guys chasing me on my house that I had to short sell. The issue with it is, and what I learned, I should have bought the house outright. I should have bought the condo outright. 
and then turned it into a rental property when my kid, I shouldn't have listened to my kids necessarily. I should have just <laughs> said, this is an investment and I'll, I'll rent it out and I'll have it so that someday we can gut it and you guys will have, it. we were a block from the beach. It was amazing. Uh, three bedroom, you know, all that. And here I am later in life with, you know, someday soon, probably, you know, my kids, twins are 24, 24. And then I have a daughter who's almost 21. She thinks she's at least 24. When they have kids, they would want to go there. And I'm kicking myself because now that same condo is who knows, 500,000 or whatever. That was just a mistake. I could have used the money and, and done something different. So I don't know what the lesson is in that. It's just that um, I, I think you have to be easy on yourself because everybody makes financial mistakes or makes decisions that they think are right at the time. And at the time it felt right. And there's now hindsight. Yeah, there's hindsight perspective. Yeah. You you raising one thing that we've talked a bit about on Money Tales, and it's about moving the goalpost. Mm. And often you don't even know you're moving the goalpost. So being mindful not to not move the goalpost unless it's intentional. Yeah. And you really thought it through. Yeah. That's that's uh that's good advice. You know, I think sometimes if I'm honest about myself, I I am a look ahead guy. Sometimes status quo really gets me edgy and nervous. It helped me in the pandemic because, you know, I was traveling, doing in-person keynotes and in-person workshops and all these things that just shut down. And so all of a sudden I'm like, all right, guess what? Zoom is my new friend. Click meeting is my new friend. All these web things. And so I was working with another guy and I convinced him that we needed to do this online webinar and all the things that I teach and preach and coach about how to present the best of your organization and the best of yourself in front of an audience. Suddenly we don't have that in-person audience. We got to do it this way where we're looking at people through a little small camera and we've got to put content on a screen and keep people's attention and make them understand that we're a valuable presenter and we can pitch and we can sell. So we created this whole program called Win the Web, which led to something else. And all of a sudden we got, we did it for free at first because I said, we got to do this free. We just got to give people content and value. And if we give them content and value, they'll come back. The money will come later. And my guy was like, oh, I don't know about it. Yeah, trust me. I think it could work. And it worked. And now we have a whole online business that we're doing to help train people. And I do webinars and I do uh, a whole thing called present to win. And then I trademarked a brand new you, which is, you know, how I coach people to build the best of their own personal brand and professional brand and how to present themselves. Well, now I'm back speaking and traveling and doing that sort of stuff. But at that time in the pandemic, when you don't know where your next client's coming from, where you're pitching with hope and not guarantee, and you've got kids going, hey, dad, that hundred bucks you used to give me a month to help me through, you know, what's the story on that? Or different things that I have. I went through divorce and, and that becomes a difficult situation. There's a lot of people who become dependent upon you and that adds stress and it adds pressure. And so I just, like I said, I bet on myself. I said, I'm going to do the best I can. It was frustrating staring at walls and windows in an office. That was a window to a new frontier, right? And, and here we are. And, and a lot of people are doing things they didn't think they'd be doing two years ago. Craig, I really appreciate your creativity, your nimbleness, and your ability to take your own advice of continue to keep moving and investing yourself and keep moving forward. I want to go back to the start of the pandemic and then also the financial crisis time period. 
you were facing a lot of big changes in your financial situation that was causing stress in your life. Having to short sale a home can be a big um, hit to the ego and it can be hard to have those conversations. But were you and your wife at the time talking about it? Were you talking about it with the kids? Yeah, we had some conversations. We, we didn't go massively in depth. You know, I had that pull of what my dad had done. You know, he didn't share a ton about the family's financial situation. I just knew everything was going to be okay. My kids were going to private school. So I did the best I could using money that I had saved. I went through a period of probably seven years, six years where I didn't really save anything. And then ultimately, you know, to be totally transparent about it, I went through divorce and and that became a very big financial situation, as it is for many people. And I don't know if this was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but for me, it felt right. I, I took out a personal loan to make sure that my family didn't feel the, the stress of divorce financially. And so I took that on to try to do the best I could, right or wrong, to, to keep everybody moving in the right direction. And so when everything was settled and you are then kind of setting sail on this new life with obligations financially, legal obligations and debt, it put me in a situation in 2017 where I needed to really work my tail off. In other words, before I paid Craig Can, sorry to go third person, uh, a dime, I had to pay other people, you know, and I had to pay off debt. So I had to work harder and harder and I had to get creative and I had to hustle and I had to do things. And I learned a lot about myself. It's one thing to have your back against the wall. Sandy, when your butt's through the drywall, you know, that's a different story. And I felt like at that time going through divorce and the personal things and starting a business, I was facing the greatest challenge of my life. I mean, there's no question about it. I had a lot of moments. But again, I go back to, you know what? I've kind of been on stage in front of an audience my whole life. And I'm on right now, man. The green light's on. And I, I, um, I got to go. It's go time. And so I pushed myself. And I tried to, and I, I put money back toward that debt and I got that to zero and I got, you know, other things handled. And suddenly I started to have things going in a real positive direction, saving again and, you know, doing all the things that I was, you know, hoping we're going to, we're going to come my way. And then a pandemic hits, but the brakes on everything. And it's like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And again, a lot of things change. So I think what I've learned about all that is, is that the more you think there's consistency in our economy or with your money, you really do. My advice to anybody out there is you really do need to pile up a cash reserve to the best of your ability. And you do need to have conversations with your family and be a little bit transparent. I could tell you other stories, which we don't need to get into, which are a little bit more personal, but I, I didn't want my kids to know totally what's going on. At the same time, you know, if, if you're a dependent upon me and the situation is causing a parent to question or struggle to figure out where their next check or where their money's coming from or how they can maintain what they were doing. Well, frankly, everybody's going to suffer at that point. There, there's a hit to everybody. And so I think it's important to tell your kids, to tell your family what's going on because later in their life, it's going to happen to them at some point. And I don't think you do anybody any justice in saying, hey, you know what? Life is a straight line and success is a straight line. I mean, I've had a lot of pivots and I've always taught myself to not 
follow the curve, but set my own curve, if that makes sense, and try to go my own direction and do the best I can. Okay. Wow. You obviously are talking with your kids about this now, whether you were as transparent about it when you were going through it. It sounds like maybe not as much as you would do now in hindsight. How are your kids reacting to what you went through and how are they applying it to their own lives or even just mirroring it back to you? Well, two of my kids are in uh, the medical field. So they're ones in nursing program post undergrad and my son is going to be a PA. And so he's in the medical field as well. So they're both pointed towards success. My son, by the way, said, uh, dad, I'm, I, he was going to be a sportscaster. And then he said, dad, I've made a, a change. I'm, I'm going to become a doctor or something. I said, wow, that's great. You know, my dad told me, chart your own course, do your own thing. Don't be a banker, follow your own dream. I said, if you don't mind me asking you, where, where did you decide to give up the, uh, the dream of being a broadcaster? And he said, well, you know, I did a lot of thinking and I, I feel like I'm really, really smart and I want to do something special with my life. And I said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was laughing. I said, you know what? That's awesome. But we need to change the story of that thing, you know, because I think kind of what I did was, was halfway kind of cool and special. special. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think my kids understand now a little bit better. The problem with divorce is two parents are going through their own challenges. So you don't want to put that on your kids. At the same time, the reality of it is, is that not everything is perfect. Not everybody's a multi-gazillionaire where nothing is affected in life. And so you do have to be transparent. Hey, you know what? This month I can do this. Maybe this month I might not be. And then you throw entrepreneur into it and it changes as well. So, you know, without sharing every little conversation I've ever had, I, I will tell you that I think my kids understand my world a little bit better than they did before. They've often asked me, when I was going through that, how come you just don't go back to doing TV or go back to, you know, quote unquote, getting a, a real job? And I don't mean that with negativity. I don't know that I'd be comfortable in that situation at this point because I know where I was headed and I know what's possible. And so therefore, that's important to me. I think it's important for your kids to understand the importance of saving, the importance of not knowing what's around the corner. My kids do a good job of saving. Now, two of them are taking out student loans for their postgrad. I, I help them with their undergrad, but I, that's my agreement with them. Your postgrad is on you. And I think that's important too for them to have ownership of their future to a degree. Look, I, I think money is a family situation. I think the more you can be open and honest about it without your kids questioning you, there's a difference between asking questions and questioning you. I think that's really important and serves them quite well later in life. Great. What's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I think our best conversations that we have in life are the ones that we have with ourselves. Oftentimes, we probably get told we don't listen well or we don't hear somebody else. And I think sometimes it's really good to listen to yourself on that. I've read some financial books recently. I think that's important to kind of see what other ideas might be out there, automatically have money going into this savings or that savings where you don't see it. I think that's really important. My next financial conversation, I just had one just a couple nights ago with my daughter in college about what I'm able to do and what I'm choosing to do. And I think that that's important so that it doesn't come across as 
I'm not doing enough or whatever. Uh, I don't need a pat on the back or a poor me situation. But I, I think it's important to, to probably have my next conversation um, be with my kids. From here forward, it's with my financial team, my financial advisor. Um, having gone through what I've gone through, I'm a lot more aware of every dollar that comes in and where it needs to go. The pandemic caused me to do a PPP loan and um, some other things, but I've, I've recovered from that and, and things are starting to turn around and, and back where I want it to go in that right direction. Look, by no means am I sitting here talking to you all ready to go sit outside and ask people for money on the corner or do something else where I have to take a third, fourth, and fifth job. My advice to some people out there who are listening is this, and I think this is super important. One thing that I have learned for a long time in my life, when I was going through local TV, I had one revenue stream. It was the paycheck from that TV station. Right now, I work for myself, so I have multiple revenue streams from different clients. I also work for SiriusXM and host my own show Wednesday night, 7 to 9 Eastern on uh, PGA Tour channel. That is a revenue stream. I also teach at the Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting at Full Sail University one day a month. That is a revenue stream. My point in sharing that is, is that I think you're wise out there to figure out what your talents are and stretch yourself to add some new tools to your toolbox and diversify your personal portfolio, not just in bank accounts and all that, but in skill sets. So that if anything does happen again, you're not dependent upon one check and you've got others coming in. I'll be honest, if not for SiriusXM and me being on the radio when I wasn't out speaking and doing my workshops and all the things I was doing, yes, I was doing webinars online, but they don't pay the same as me doing a keynote speech or some of the other things that I do. So having that other revenue stream come in was quite helpful. And I would tell people, don't wait till you're 50 or 55 for the 911 call you need to have with yourself. Have it when you're 40 or 30. If you read my book, Can You Get Our Attention? One of the things I talk about in there, and it's a chapter in and of itself, and it's titled, What Else You Got? And by that title, I'm saying we've got to find out what our other skill sets are and be able to use them before we're desperate to have to put them into play. Craig, thank you. That's that's fantastic wisdom. And, and I really appreciate you sharing so much about yourself and your journey Bet on yourself. I, I really, that's such a powerful statement. I love the diversification. I think there's there's so much for our listeners to grab onto from, from your experiences and your sharing. My pleasure. Hey, it's been fun. I might have to go get a second paper out um, <laughs> at some point, but you know what? I'm okay. As long as I'm getting a penny of paper, I'll be, I'll be just fine. And, and you know what? Honestly, the book's been a powerful thing, but it's been a real big thing for me on Amazon and elsewhere, and, and it's won some awards. But you know what it does? When you start writing, look, I talk about brand. I talk about the, the use of various platforms, strategic communication, media coaching, media relations all the things, communication, that social media, that I coach, preach, teach, all that stuff. But one of the biggest things I tell people is you have to own your story. You have to tell people your story. So in your case, people sharing money, that's a topic a lot of people don't want to talk about. Look, I didn't give you every detail. You don't know how much money I make. You don't know what my last check is. And frankly, nobody should care. 
But when you put it on paper and you, you start looking at your life and your journey, the reason it's important, I tell people that they need to find the value, the economic value in sharing your story. And if I'm going to do that, then I better share my own. And so in the book, I do share my story, much of what I'm telling you, maybe not to the nth degree of some of the details I've shared here, but I think it's important to help other people to see where you've been so that they can learn from that. So I hope people check out the book, Can You Get Our Attention? As they should. And Craig, thank you for being such a great role model, not only in the book, but in this conversation today, which was very special and important. We wish you a lot of luck with all of your different diversified endeavors in the years ahead. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. You guys are great. Cammy, what was your biggest takeaway from our conversation with Craig Can? Craig is a fun, nice guy, and he's really open with his life lessons. One that was just really powerful, and I'm sure our listen, listeners will appreciate, is be easy on yourself when you make a money mistake. You know, there's an opportunity to learn from them. And one of the key learnings for him was keep some cash reserves, make sure you create this safety net. And I thought that was, I, I like both messages, you know, you, you, you got to keep money, you know, as best you can uh, pay yourself first, that same idea that we've hear a lot, but also that, that generosity and kindness, because really when I listened to him and his learning, he really learned so much from those, what we'll call mistakes. And um, they, they're, they're painful at times, but gosh, he learned so much through that. One last thing along these lines that really resonated with me, and I, I mentioned it while we were talking to Craig, was this idea of moving the goalposts. So being mindful doesn't mean we, we shouldn't always have new goals and growing goals, but as they move, things change in your world or the external world, the economy. Are you going to be able to support as you move those goalposts to support your financial needs? Those are some good takeaways, Cami. And I think you're right about, did Craig actually make money mistakes? Do any mm. of us really make money mistakes? There are definitely mistakes that people make. In Craig's case, he kind of got caught by a change in his work conditions and a change in the housing markets that collided at the same time. If the timing of those events was later, Craig even mentioned, you know, if his, if his contract had only come up two years later, mm -hmm. things would be entirely different. So I'm not sure that they're mistakes as much as they are unfortunate events, but there are really great learnings and you highlighted some that Craig shared with us. I think it's important to make sure that we are always learning from these experiences in our life what went well, what could have gone differently, how can we best prepare for that? One of Craig's learnings from that experience was to have a diversified source of income. He's really focused on that. And he's certainly become aware of that as he has been running the Can Advisory Group and doing all sorts of cool things with his podcast and his serious radio show and uh, all the training and consulting and coaching that he does. So I, I thought that was another really great insight that Craig had when it comes to diversification. It's not all about investments, 
There's a lot of different ways we can diversify. Making sure that we're mindful of what things could happen that could cause us to need to shift and make changes. If we think about that as we're making a big financial decision, that can sometimes help lead us to making sure that we have the cash reserves and other things in place to help us get through stormy periods of time. It did feel like it was the perfect storm, Sandy. And that's to your point, they're not, are they really mistakes or just you hit that storm? Craig talked about taking out a personal loan to to effectively bridge a financial gap. And given your experience with clients, how do you advise clients around taking out a personal loan? What are the what are the risks and what are the maybe even some alternatives? Well, everyone's situation is different, Cami. So it's hard to to focus in on this one area. Certainly, if there is a cash need, take a look at different investments and see whether it's appropriate to sell investments if you have them to to meet a need or you know look at other sources of cash. But borrowing money is oftentimes a convenient source of cash. When people are in a situation where they want to borrow money, it's important to be really smart about how you're doing it. Credit card debt is the easiest source of borrowing for most people, but it's also the most expensive with double digit interest rates. It's best when there is a need for cash to avoid credit cards unless uh, you're in a position where you can pay them off within a month and avoid that expensive credit. If a person owns a home and has an opportunity to borrow against the equity of their home, that's a pretty convenient source of borrowing uh, and the interest rate can be quite attractive there. Another place where people will go to borrow money is against their investment portfolio. They have investments that they can borrow against in the form of a margin loan. Margin interest can be low. And that kind of takes me to another point, which is you need to be mindful when you're borrowing money about the interest rate environment. As we're recording this episode, interest rates are very low. It's relatively easy to borrow money, even on a personal loan where the interest rate is not deductible and still pay a relatively low amount. But in other environments when interest rates are higher, you need to be really mindful about the cost of the borrowing and your ability to pay back the loan over time. All of that will be a function uh, into the decision-making and conjunction with those things I talked about before, about whether there are other assets that you could sell or or borrow against. It's really great to hear these different options and help people think about it. And since I'm the marketer here, I really get excited about branding and brand building. So I just have to talk about, again, Craig's new book, Can You Get Our Attention? I know we both read it and we're, we're digesting it. It's, to me, an important message that we have personal brands and we have to think about it and nurture them and be intentional about them like anything. And I'll share that I I love his forward at the beginning of his book. He writes, don't wait for people to take notice. Do something positive that's worthy of people's attention. And I thought, what a great start to his book and just can't say enough and recommend it enough to our listeners. I'm glad you brought that up, Cami. I thought the book was great too. One of my favorite aspects of the book was how it's not only um, offering practical advice, but Craig weaves his own memoir throughout the book. And it's really fun to read his story, some of which he touched on during our conversation with him. And he goes into to them in, in more detail. I think he's a great storyteller. 
and has a really great message that he's carrying through. And I'm so glad he spoke with us on Money Tales. So thank you for that, Craig. And listeners, don't forget, you can reach us at podcasts at com. Please share your money stories with us, or if you've got questions, send them via email. See you next time on Money Tales. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.